Hello and welcome to N4D's very first podcast. I'm sat here with Jeremy Shoham and Chris Leather. Hello. I'm Carmel Dolan. And we're this first podcast is going to introduce a little bit about N4D and why we're going to spend time generating podcasts. You may be thinking, oh no, not another podcast. But we assure you this is going to be fun, interesting, exciting and different. Mm. But before we get to that, let me introduce Jeremy or allow Jeremy to introduce himself. So why don't you tell us, Jeremy, why you're sat here in my kitchen at this table and talking (laughs) on this podcast. Tell me about who you are. I have been a nutritionist since I was 28 and I'm now in my 60s, mainly working in humanitarian contexts until I met you, Carmel, and uh, you introduced me to the to the non-humanitarian world of nutrition. Yeah, so you're a nutritionist by background, Jeremy. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am. And would you say you have any other? Any other skills? <laughs> yeah. Um, and also... What the... kind of podcast is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I dabble in music. You do. Chris, why don't you tell our listeners well, uh, a little bit about you? Um... So, well, I've been working in the area of nutrition and uh, development for quite a long time. Um, In fact, I studied development studies at university. Um, So I guess it was when I was at school that I set off down this this path. Um, When my school organized a visit for four, four of us students to a village in Tanzania. So... My first trip outside of the UK was to Tanzania, mm. and that really set me off down the path. And um, uh, what led to me study, studying at university and then um, working for Action Against Hunger in various countries, in Liberia and Tajikistan, etc. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and what, about, what about you, Carmel? Yeah, not very interesting no. life. I started out in the 80s in Africa, Um, probably I would say the most influential point in my early career was the Ethiopian famine, Mm -hmm. where I worked for about a year and a half, I Mm. suppose, and was involved in programs to support repatriation after that. Then I studied human nutrition, and I just sort of fell into... Uh, a job with the what was then known as Overseas Development Administration, now FCDO. I spent seven years in Tanzania, interestingly, Chris, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and loved it. That was more development. So I went from large-scale famine to multi-sectoral nutrition development programming. Yeah. And I think that probably has typified the rest of my career, yeah. is that I sit and happily straddle both. So I've been in and out of both systems. Mm. And that's a good thing in a way, Mm. because as we will go on to talk about as N4D, trying to get humanitarian and long-term development connecting more readily is Mm. really vital. Mm. 
not having them in such a siloed way. But yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mm. So that's me. Mm. Um, I won't say how old I am, but I'm certainly not in the early flourish of my career. Let's mm, say really? that. Really? No. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But I think you're you're excellent at um, introducing N4D and explaining why yeah. the three of us came together and set up N4D. Mm what, uh, two and a half or nearly three years ago now. It'll be so three years this June. Do you want to tell our listeners um, yeah. about M4D? Yeah, so we um, I, we were all at a point, weren't we, Jeremy mm. and Chris, where we wanted to do something different. Some of us have been in long-term roles in organisations and were ready for change. And we sat around and said, look, what do we really want to be doing? And out of that came N4D. So you're right, Chris. We set N4D up three years ago this June. Mm-hmm. It's gone mm-hmm. incredibly quickly, mm-hmm. which is yes. a good sign, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to invest our time professionally more in direct support to national authorities and their supporting partners in countries and perhaps less time on the global mm. space. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where we've all spent lots of time working in different global capacities. Um, so we wanted to put our efforts into supporting countries that themselves want to make more progress, accelerate their progress in addressing malnutrition. Mm. And to do that in a way that is more demand Based. So rather than coming in with preconceived notions or blueprints of what countries might need to do to have a more listening and catalytic role to understand where are they at already, where do they want to be heading, what are the impediments that they're identifying and then help up through our support behind the scenes more than front and centre. Mm. Uh, support those processes in the best way possible. Mm. So I think that's really why we came together with M4D. I think there's maybe an interesting question about what was our formative experience in making us want to take that approach of working more closely with governments and less at the global level mm. or through international development yeah, partners. Right. Mm. Right. And, and for my part, I can remember... Um, actually, you and me, Carmel, going to Somalia and working with a certain Dr. Farrar. Yeah, um, from the and, Ministry of Health. And just hearing frustration from government um, around how international development partners were supporting them or not supporting them. Mm. Um, uh, that was quite stark for me. Mm. And I just remember that as a key moment in my development or in my thinking Yes, I think that what came out of that Somalia trip, but many other um, trips as well, is how do voices from the national level find their way to Mm. global priorities? Mm. So how well is the global system meeting the priorities and identified needs of countries? Mm. And I don't think we've got that right. Even though there have been so many advances in the nutrition sector let's say Mm. you know Mm. the advent of the sun movement the scaling up nutrition movement and so many other initiatives Mm. but i think countries 
where they're unguarded national actors will say they still get very frustrated hmm. with the lack of interest in really hearing what it is hmm. they're identifying as the problems that need to be addressed and yes. getting behind that. Lack of, lack of interest, yeah. lack of alignment, um, and maybe also not understanding why there isn't more alignment with their interests. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also mm. something that comes through sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had similar conversations as well in different countries with people from governments um, and expressing those frustrations, um, but relating them back to all the commitments that have been made internationally to do things differently, mm. to better link up humanitarian and development assistance, to provide more direct funding to local actors in the grand bargain commitments to really promote country ownership and leadership and align with national priorities and there have been so many commitments made mm. um, but as you say so much but often we hear in the work we've done previously and now frustration that those commitments are not being being honored so mm. I think it's right that um, one of the exciting things about setting up N4D was to have that real focus on on the country level, um, but also you know um, not ignoring mm. the global level and how it can better um, work and organise itself to to better meet country priorities and country needs. So, mm. in the work we've done so far, we've had that country focus, but we have of course done the work with global initiatives. Mm. Um, you know, with the Sun Movement and the Global Nutrition Report and Nutrition for Growth, because they are yeah. all important initiatives that have, mm -hmm. um, you know, done some very good work and um, provided uh, important support and benefits to countries. But, you know, we often hear that they could be doing even better. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're, I think a key thing about N4D is that it perhaps... N4D is less about us, and this podcast is more about giving voices to people, particularly from country levels, so they can share their experiences, their successes, um, what they feel have led to those successes, but also the challenges that they mm. face mm. and why they think those challenges exist um, and what they think can be done to, to help overcome those challenges. Mm. Mm. So I think in that sense, this... This podcast is, is a key element of why we exist as N4D, why we set up yep. N4D and yep. a key element of our wider strategy. Yeah, agreed. So do we want to say a little bit for the listeners about how we're going to approach the podcast? Chris, you've just done a good job of saying how mm. the podcast links to N4D's strategic uh, intent mm. that we set, we outlined, didn't we, some nearly three years ago. Mm. So we've come together today to introduce the podcast series and we're saying that what we want this podcast to do, because we don't believe there's something equivalent out there, mm. so we hope we're filling a gap in the market, let's mm. say. Mm in the podcast market. But what we're wanting to do is stimulate conversations with country national actors 
leaders. Mm. We don't necessarily mean by leaders that they have to be occupy senior positions, but they lead uh, the challenge in addressing malnutrition in different ways. They mm. could be subnational actors. It could be very good district medical officers mm. or regional uh, coordinators mm. yeah, in a country. But we're interested in those voices, mm. people that are very committed to and champion nutrition, but who have a, something to say about what progress is being made from mm. their perspective in their countries, but also being open and honest about the remaining challenges. Mm. And, and what kind of support they need. And the support mm. that's necessary. But our angle is for this podcast series is less about the technical detail of mm. tackling malnutrition because yeah. there's an enormous wealth of technical podcasts and materials already out there. What we're going to focus on, where we think there is a big gap, is more the political economy mm-hmm. of addressing malnutrition. Mm. Yes. So would one of you like to say a little Chris, bit about... Chris, you wrote this down somewhere. ...what we mean... A definition of political well, economy. When we talk about political economy <laughs> and nutrition... Go ahead, Chris. Well, so that we could um, really look informed and um, even more (laughs) (laughs) in the know than perhaps we are. We did look up the definition of political economy uh, and we found this definition, which is that it focuses on how power and resources are distributed and contested in different contexts Mm. and the implications for different development outcomes and, Mm. of course, uh, nutrition outcomes specifically in in our discussion mm-hmm. um so very much i think in the conversations we'll be having um we will be talking about power relations of different mm-hmm. actors uh, local actors national actors um international actors and um the resources that each mm-hmm. of those have um and that word contested in the in the definition is is quite mm. important as well because of course um you know uh, everywhere uh, there are resource constraints and therefore mm. um you know there is to some extent competition over resources and who has access and mm. the power to utilize those resources so mm. yeah i think um the conversations we will be having will really touch on political economy issues. And it's interesting, isn't it, because none of us are, are political economists. No. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we will be talking to people who are more familiar with the politics around nutrition than we are and have their own experience. And I guess we'll, we'll be learning a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also something here, isn't there, about nutrition education, uh, qualifications education has never really paid that much attention to political economic mm-hmm. context i mean the london school of hygiene where carmel and i studied uh, had paid paid some attention to this area but in you know it, it's it's such a uh, a complex um complex area mm. To think about, um, and I don't think nutritionists, who are largely technicians, are necessarily equipped to deal with political economy. Yet it's such an important part of it should be such an important part of how they frame their work. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, this podcast will 
over time allow us to develop our thinking around what's important in the political economy of nutrition. Um, and who knows what would come out of that, mm. you know, mm -hmm. blogs, even papers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in our work to date and going forward, to what extent do you think, um, as N4D, our focus is on those political economy issues and, and trying to find ways working with others or to, to address those kind of issues. Um, we've said the podcast is more mm. about the politics of nutrition rather than the technical mm. issues. Um, I think that's very much true of what we're doing in M4D and what we want to be, want, what we want De to be def doing. Definitely. I mean, mm. I, th I think our two areas of interest thus far, our two main areas have been the humanitarian development nexus and localization mm -hmm. and the institutional arrangements around nutrition, the governance around nutrition. Mm. Um, and that's very much political economy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. If we take the work going on that we're supporting in Yemen right now, yeah. that is entirely a kind of political economy. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, piece of work in the sense that what what our Yemeni colleagues are trying to achieve is to get the humanitarian and development actors to to come together and align much much more readily behind an existing national mm. multisectoral mm. plan, which is all about ending malnutrition in mm. Yemen. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. That sounds quite straightforward, doesn't it? Mm. And I think often in the nutrition sector, it's fair to say we always have this assumption that we know what to do because there's so much strong evidence out there, mm. but it's the how. And I think the political economy is a big part of where things stumble and fall down is mm. this mm. lack of attention to how yep. you move from knowing what to do, yes. taking action, whether it's through health systems or through the food systems or whatever systems mm -hmm. you're thinking about at a country level, depending on the different drivers of malnutrition in that context, to the how you're going to get that done. Sure. And that is where political economy sits. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, you take, take something like CMAM, you know, which was a revolution in treatment of, of wasting, severe wasting in particular. Um, that was such a, a huge technical step forward, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. In, in terms of uh, taking treatment into the community rather than through health centres. Um, yet the, the, the scale-up and roll-out of CMAM has... Um, in large part, in my opinion, failed because of a lack of understanding of the political economy around scaling up programming. Mm. Um, and it's not, it doesn't just come down to resources either. Mm. It comes mm. down to relationships between sectors, to how policies are formulated. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're all of the view that it's great that the technical side of nutrition is really important and there's been huge progress mm. over over the last over over our lifetime mm. uh, over our career but the political economy has been neglected mm. Uh, mm. and maybe the sun movement was the first time for a long time that that's really received attention mm -hmm. mm. Uh, all the work that the sun movement has done around enabling environment is really important mm. and it's informed our thinking as well Definitely. i would say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
maybe we'll have a, an in-depth um, podcast at some point on the CMAM issue and the pol- political economy issues around that. Mm. Um, but given the, that you just raised it, uh, what's an example of a political economy issue uh, in relation to CMAM rollout that, uh, that, that you think uh, is holding it, things back holds, and needs holds, to be addressed? Well, obviously there without is, going into too much detail yeah, at this I stage. Mean, but, I think CMAM uh, was devised... Um, as a theoretical construct, the, the, the main advantage of CMAM, as I said, was, was the ability to, to take treatment to the community. But um, it really didn't address, A, the uh, capacity of government to allocate resources mm. to the programme and also the political willingness of government to... Um, to expend all those resources on what is a very successful type of programming, mm-hmm. a very effective treatment. You take a country like Ethiopia, where uh, there's been significant scale-up of CMAM. It's been one of the most successful CMAM countries probably in Africa. Mm. Um, that largely came about through someone, a, 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 sadly no longer with us, a, a Dr. Faru Lemar, mm. um, who came to a conference, a CMAM conference in 2014, saw it as a fantastic opportunity to address the large-scale problem of wasting in Ethiopia, got everyone in the Ministry of Health on side and managed to get the resources devoted to scaling up CMAM. But th- that political side of things mm. um, is key. was key, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that underscores, doesn't it, how in at national level, when you're thinking about tackling malnutrition, you've got to have these phenomenal champions. Mm. They really do. And that's what the Sun Movement has Absolutely. done very, very well yes. on, is yes. identifying who those champions can be. Mm. Now, they might be technical people, like Dr. Fru Lemmer was, a brilliant doctor as well, mm. but also they could be political actors. First mm. ladies, for example, yes. um, in Niger. Mm. We heard about the First Lady in Niger in a recent visit. So I think that is all part of it, is mm. where are these champions, these voices mm. that are giving aspects of the problems of malnutrition a visibility mm. that can't come from anywhere else. Mm. Uh, they have the attention and their voice is amplified through mm. because of their prominence in that society. Mm. But that in itself isn't enough either. That's just part of what's needed. Yeah. Sure. There are a programme like CMAM, but there are many, many others that mm. we need to be thinking about. I think maybe we should move on now mm. and just say a little bit to the listeners about what they might expect mm. from this podcast series, mm. okay? But before doing that, maybe we should say a little bit about what approach we'd like to take to our podcast. Mm. So this is us talking right now, and yeah. that's going to be the end of that because we're not interested so much in what we three have to mm. say even though, of course, we're fascinating on so many levels. Yes. The series is going to give time and voice yes. to national actors yeah. who've got stuff to say that's both uh, about the challenges, but also we want to get under the uh, skin, the successes and the challenges. Mm. So a real take on uh, what their experience of tackling malnutrition is mm. currently and has been. Mm. So we're going to have a conversational tone. Mm-hmm. It's going to be reasonably challenging. So yeah. we're not looking for rose-tinted spectacle no. views no. of the problems of malnutrition. 
and we're going to... Attach everyone to a lie detector. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're not going to be doing that because that would be very unfair. Um, and we're going to ask the people that we invite onto our podcast series to almost take their agency or their um, institutional organisational hat off. Mm. Yeah? Mm. So we're going to try and have very open, frank conversations mm. about... Uh, how we move forward in ending malnutrition, which is really what this podcast series is going to be focused on. Mm. So we're going to start off with conversations with national actors who we consider to be people in a leadership role Mm -hmm. for different reasons, but also bring in some global actors as well, people that have occupied important positions or maybe still occupy those important positions Mm. and see where we get to. Mm-hmm. And as Jeremy said earlier, um, perhaps our role in this isn't just convening the podcast, but listening very carefully and thinking about, well, what, where does this take us? Mm. This wealth of learning that we're going to get from listening and talking to uh, various actors from the national, subnational, and the global and mm. the global level. Mm. Mm. What does it add in mm. terms of this political economy lens that we're particularly interested in? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a wrap. That's it's enough wrap. from us. Thank and you. Now Jeremy looking forward Chris. to hearing from yeah. others. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Hello, Carmel here. Thank you for listening to our debut podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. We are keen to build debate around our discussions and we welcome comments from you, our listeners. You can do this by visiting the podcast page on the N4D website. Please subscribe to the podcast and share freely with colleagues and your contacts. N4D, the Politics of Ending Malnutrition podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms. And you'll be interested to know that we will be releasing a new podcast regularly. These will contain tough conversations with global and country decision makers as they share their learning on what works, the challenges they confront and importantly, the support they need to drive political change to end malnutrition. We hope you find these interesting, engaging and inspiring.